Well, welcome to the Last Tricks podcast. I'm Will Hitchens. This is Mitchell Ford. And today we are joined by the host of Youngblood Men's Mental Health Podcast. This is Callum McPherson, everybody. Hey, boys. How you going? How's the beautiful Rosina Street treating you? <laughs> oh, better than it used to. <laughs> Will, did you hear anything about this wonderful street before... Um, no, well, we, we walked down Hinley what, yesterday. Hinley, there you go. Yeah, so you, yeah, know, so. you know he's not from Adelaide if <laughs> yeah, he's calling yeah. it Hinley. Tell me, you're, tell me you're not from Adelaide without telling me you're not from Adelaide. <laughs> not from Adelaide, yeah. So, so yeah, for the, for the listeners, uh, these boys are visiting Adelaide at the moment and they, as two sober gents, have moved into the least sober street in the entire <laughs> yeah. city, which yeah. I thought was pretty funny, on it's, Rosina Street. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Saturday nights, it's normally you've got people sitting against the wall smoking cigarettes right. off their head on, yeah, on yeah. Uh, it bring, brings back many memories <laughs> and, and we're here. nostalgia. So, yeah, well, isn't Red Square? You mentioned that. That's right. Red Square is down there. Not far from uh, the old wool shed. Yep. Oh, yeah, we mentioned the wool the shed. shed yesterday. Yeah. Yep. Various uh, gentlemen's establishments. <laughs> yeah, the palace. Yeah, we saw that. Yeah. Yeah. We saw that down there. So. From the outside, from the outside. Mm. <laughs> yeah, outside looking in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the perfect location, really. <laughs> but... <laughs> To do a podcast on sobriety and mental yeah, health. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Callum and I, we, we, I mean, we all did a podcast on yours, Youngblood's yeah. Mental Health. And um, yeah, we were saying at some point we've probably crossed paths and smoked a cigarette somewhere in one of the big I'm gardens sure somewhere. Happened. I'm sure it's happened Must've, in some smoker's yeah. area. But, but um, we all just looked like rats back then. So yeah, <laughs> a bit hard exactly. to tell us apart. That's right. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I guess um, first off... Uh, what sort of prompted you to start your podcast and, and how's it all how's it all traveling? Well before he answers, I mean, he did say he wanted to join us for a non-alcoholic beverage sometimes. Oh, that's true. So yep. that's what we got here. We've got one for him in front of us, we'll crack them okay. open. And right. first things first. I'll have you know this is my first ever non-alcoholic beverage oh, as well. Wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Shout out, heaps normal. That's a nice sound. Mm. Oh, it sounds pretty alcoholic. There we Cheers, go. Cheers. Boys. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Wow, that does taste like a beer. Mm. It does, yeah. Nice. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's good after gym, you know. Yeah. Frothy. <laughs> That's the way. Um, yeah, yeah, so I, I started it all after losing a good mate of mine to suicide. Um, so I was already a storyteller. I was a professional news reporter working for Channel 7. Um, started off in Port Lincoln, which Mitch, you would know, is sort of eight hours away from Adelaide, little coastal town. And then I moved up to Townsville and I did a year and a half there and, and I was back in Adelaide uh, for Channel 7 here. And yeah, unfortunately had that tragedy before me and that had just a massive impact on my life as it does on so many people who are unfortunate enough to go through that, which is most of us, sadly, at some point in our life. So that just totally rocked my world and changed my perspective. I've been pretty fortunate to that point. I'd lived a really blessed life where nothing had gone drastically wrong. I uh, got a wonderful, loving family, great friends, had a good education and hadn't had any serious health issues to that point. So it was a real shock to lose someone that young. I think when you are that age, especially like late teens into early 20s, that whole invincibility idea is well, it was certainly true for me. Mm. Like, and every, even though your dad will say like, oh, you know, your kids are, you think you're invincible, but you're not. And think in the back of your mind, you know, you're not, but you really don't believe that until something shows you that you are human and you are fallible and you are vulnerable. And that was the first time for me where I was like, oh, wow. And if it could happen to James and it could have happened to me, and it wasn't like, oh, how scary is that? It could have happened to me, but it just rattles you, rattles your whole world that people who should have been there, who should still be there now, can just at the drop of a hat be gone and there's no getting them back. And I think that was been the hardest part of it is you just, part of you expects that person to come back someday and it's still always hard to believe that they're gone. And when you think about them again and listen to a song or um, you know, remember a joke or you want to tell them something and then it always hits you a bit even years later where it's, oh, I mm. still can't tell that person because they're still gone and it's just so brutal that making that one decision and that one mistake results in that and that permanent loss for yourself and for everyone in your life. 
So that just had a huge impact on me. And then see, going to the funeral and seeing how distraught his mum was and, and, and hundreds of people there who were obviously had so much love for him. But when you're in that spiral, you can't see that at that time. And I certainly don't put any blame on people who end up being suicidal. And I think if you don't have much of an insight into what that's like, then it's easy for people to judge and say, oh, it, you know, the typical trope of it's selfish to do that. But I think when people are that dark and that low and in that sort of uh, space of mind, and Mitch, you mentioned you've been down there before, uh, from what I've heard from my show, you can't really think of anything else other than trying to get away from the, the overwhelming pain that you're in. So I don't, certainly don't hold any blame against him. And it just felt tremendous sadness that he felt like that and that he wouldn't express that to me because we were really close. We would speak on the phone for hours at a time and always pump each other up. And uh, I was off making my bones in my career and, and he was starting to do the same and finishing off uni and then going to work in, in finance interstate. So a lot of our relationship was actually um, over the phone and we were in different parts so we couldn't go and see each other physically a lot of the time. And we'd always leave those conversations feeling amped up and better. And he was just so motivated and passionate about life. And one of those people that you'd, you'd never have a, a fear about, or certainly that's how I used to think and how I think most people think, which is, oh, they'll be right. That's the kind of person who would never have an issue because look at that, they're so switched on and they're so driven. And I've actually seen that a few times since with people who have a, a similar disposition who end up in a very dark place too. So I think that's one of the most insidious things with mental health and suicidality is it can hide in plain sight and it can wear all kinds of different guises. It doesn't look like any one thing for, for any one person. So you have to keep an eye out and check on all your mates no matter how mm. well you think they're doing. Um, so yeah, after losing JMO, I just realised how many young men really struggle to talk about where they're at and what they're going through and that there wasn't any platforms out there for young guys specifically sharing their stories relating to mental health. And uh, one of the cameramen I was working with at Channel 7 had just started a podcast studio and he'd already recommended a, I should do a podcast. And then all of a sudden I had a, a theme of, of stories that I wanted to tell and talk about. And then similar to you guys, I just had no idea what I was doing and just started doing it mm. and learned as I went along. And that's been going for getting close to three and a half years now and done over a hundred episodes and talked to guys from all over Australia and the world. And it sort of one thing just led to another and it, it turned into a whole whirlwind and ended up being the most important sort of satisfying thing I've ever done in my wow. life. And behind that was really just this idea that if JMO had felt like he could have expressed fully how he was feeling and he could have known that he wasn't alone in where he was at and that there was hope and it would get better and he could see examples of that and not feel ashamed that he was just living life and struggling, then I think he'd still be here. And I think that's so many young men in particular who I think a lot of people don't actually want to die. A lot of people just have a really bad run. And if you can get through that, I think you can end up being all right. And I've seen that happen a few mm -hmm. times since where um, mates of mine have been that dark but they've lived through it and now they're going great guns so mm. that's really what it's about it's planting those seeds of hope in people's minds and showing them examples of this is how someone else did it um, it's not preaching at anyone or telling anyone what they should do it's just saying this worked for this person and you're not alone basically yeah yeah such a good point um, in terms of yeah pushing through those dark times I mean that's kind of why we our podcast we think you know, from our experience, alcohol had a huge piece of our mental health, I guess, you know, making it quite negative. And, um, and yeah, that's sort of why we have our podcast too. Mm. It's a good starting point. Won't fix all your mental health straight away, but for a lot of people, alcohol is a main thing. Mm. Um, and so with your, with your friend, um, was there any way that, like looking back now, anything, any signs at all? Because I think you said that he didn't really express it at all. So it was just like completely... Yeah, and there was. I think before you know what to look for, you, you have no idea what to look for. And you'd certainly yeah. never imagine that it's that bad. You know, I've never been confronted with suicide before. So yeah, there absolutely was. You know, he, he professed that he was struggling to me and that he was having a hard time because he'd, he'd moved to Sydney to try and make it in investment banking. 
and he had got a job but it hadn't turned out to be what he wanted culture wise so he actually quit and he was unemployed looking for a job um, doing this extra study and living in Sydney trying to pay Sydney rent and he actually had a his mum was sending money to help pay his rent and he was just such a proud man like very physically fit extremely active extremely hard working and I know he would have felt a lot of shame that his mother who was a single mother and didn't have much herself was for a period of a few weeks or a few months having to help him out to pay his rent and I know he would have felt really embarrassed and ashamed about that even though there was nothing to be embarrassed about because he was trying to do something that was extremely difficult and Mm -hmm. it very rarely goes smoothly for us when we're trying to start out and try and take a big jump and move into state and make it happen especially in a cutthroat industry like that but I know that would have been part of it and I said to him like just come home there's no shame in coming home even if it's just for a bit because you you know it'd be good to have a, a reset and you don't have to stick it out when it's just not working it doesn't mean you're a failure it just means mm-hmm. right now it'd, it'd be better to focus on recalibrating and come back at it a different way but he was super set on staying there and my mindset with listening to that was just like yeah bro well I believe in you I remember saying that to him because he was just so relentless and out of everyone I know I would have said that he was the most likely to succeed and he always had and he'd been through some real adversity in his life and found a way to make it work mm-hmm. so I just backed him and was like all right like, if you say that then I believe in you and go on make it happen i remember he felt better after hearing that and we'd always leave the our conversations with a more hopeful tone and that was actually the last time i spoke to him which um yeah was just still so unexpected so yeah i knew he was struggling and and having a hard time but he was still hopeful and optimistic and skilled and driven and i'd had a, a bit of a tough time establishing my career myself and was grinding it out and i think it's just sort of part of being that age and I guess I was thinking at it a bit from my perspective too but I know he wasn't sharing anywhere near the full truth of just how dark that was getting for him and that that was because he felt like he couldn't uh, ultimately and yeah so I think that's that's so many guys who maybe hint at whatever that is but there is a a bit of onus on whoever's receiving that to be able to pick up on the signs and dig a bit deeper and ask those questions without digging too much and that's not an easy thing to do either and that's something that people are intimidated by in terms of trying to help someone out who's struggling they're like how do I do it what do I Mm. what do I say what don't I say Uh, and I hadn't had any experience with that yet I was only Mm -hmm. 24 yeah okay and and so the place you're at now with everything you've done with with your podcast and um, learnings from that experience what um I suppose what not so much what could you have done differently but what advice could you pass on to people that may have a friend that might be struggling sort yeah. of from what you've learned yeah so from everyone i've had on the show and just advice from places like lifeline and are you okay is just listen number one just creating that space and showing that person that you're giving them that time and you know they're not crazy they're not a loser for bringing up some vulnerability that you appreciate that they would share something like that with you Uh, if you have something to share yourself and and you're comfortable doing that that can be a good way to open that door and make them feel more comfortable to share and listen first of all and then after they've put that out there and you've been able to listen to what they're saying and they've been able to hear themselves speak out loud, then think about encouraging some action and that could be through them. So actually asking them, like, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Rather than you should do this now. Mm. Unless it's imminent risk, then it's always calling the police. If it's like, I'm going to, someone's saying, I'm going to kill myself now, or or then it's, you have to call the police. But if it's, um, less intense than that then encouraging action what can i do from you for you uh, have them tell you how you might be able to help them and then potentially suggest services or something like that but i think a lot of the time just being the person that that person can talk out loud to is a massive step in itself because i, I think part of the problem with my friend 
Jamo is that he was isolated in another state and those that dialogue in his head was just in his head all the time and mm-hmm. he wasn't talking to anyone in real life. He wasn't actually letting that out and running it past someone. And once you speak something out loud, like we've all got experience with it where we say stuff that we've been thinking about and we're like, oh, that doesn't actually make that much sense. Mm. And that's how we work stuff out, just by voicing it. So being that person that they can voice to without jumping in and without uh, getting freaked out yourself or, or trying to one-up them and say, oh, that, yeah, well, that's, that's bad, but like, this happened to me as well and then yeah. trying to steal the conversation so just shut up and listen and i guess it does take a bit of skill to know when to speak and when not to but if all less fails just listen you know put a hand on their shoulder ask them what you can do for them mm-hmm. pretty simple sort of stuff but i think we get um we get pretty freaked out it is pretty freaky when someone's saying that they're they're struggling that much but you've got a real opportunity to if not save their life, you know, be a really good friend or a really good family member or colleague. And um, everyone needs someone in those moments. And I think all the time we just have to be able to tell one person mm. what we're really going through. And that doesn't have to be a professional to start off with. And I think that can put people off and intimidate people where it's like, oh, I'll just go see a psychologist. It's like, well, in the first instance, is there anyone that you can think of that you could tell about this? Whether they're going to, give you answers that you need or not is there someone that you can just vent to and it doesn't have to be you don't have to tell them everything about your life but you've got to find someone that you can tell about whatever it is that's really giving you trouble i think Mm. yeah and it's interesting about the uh the point you mentioned with giving advice or or giving like a comparison because i've i've had that before where um you know, you mentioned that you're struggling and then it's like, oh, but look how good your life is. You know, you've got this, you've got this, you know, you should be happy. Yeah. And like you say, it's one of the most damaging. It's mm. like so damaging when someone says that because then you're like, oh, well, it well, makes you feel, feel worse. guilty, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like well, I should feel it. happy and I don't. So now it's even worse because mm. not only am I unhappy, I'm now like faced with the fact that a close person to me is telling me that I should be. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's a really good point is, yeah, not to... Yeah, not to And it's more complicated. Yeah. More complicated than saying, Oh well, all these things on paper mean that you should be happy, so just stop, get over it. But mm. it's not that it's not that simple and it can be yeah. really hard for people on the outside looking in to mm. understand. Mm. I've had people on my podcast before who've become clinically depressed and struggled terribly and a huge part of that issue was they didn't have a central reason for it they didn't have one thing that they could point at and say oh this horrible tragedy happened to me therefore this is why they just slowly lost grip of themselves and that was really scary in itself because and super frustrating because they couldn't fully point to why that was happening but it doesn't make it any less real but we know the whole oh just suck it up and and get over it and treating depression and anxiety and those kinds of issues like they're all in your head just Mm -hmm. isn't the case and they're very different depending on who you are too i mean they might i've also had people on the show who say that for them getting getting past um for example a, a guy i spoke to who lost his dad to suicide part of what helped him was comparing his life to people in Syria who did have it way worse and for him personally like that actually made him feel better so it's kind of subjective yeah Yeah, it would be yeah I suppose Mm -hmm. it depends on the person as to how that um yeah what whatever's going to work for them what helped you Mitch when you were at that point um well for me it was moving away that was a thing Mm -hmm. yeah like moving up to the Gold Coast and um and stopping drinking and creating new friends I was sort of unhappy with in a workplace I was surrounded by like they, they weren't bad people but just um, not the healthiest for me and I was quite isolated. All my family were not in Adelaide. I didn't really have anyone close to me. Uh, you know, I was single, living alone and, yeah, I just had to had to get up and move and, and start a new life. And yeah, that's really that been isolation the is a, a real killer, I think, when you spend so much time in your own head. And that yeah. can be really dangerous, especially if you're adding in various substances to that. Yeah. So you didn't have anyone to talk to? <laughs> Um, I did. I had a counselor, which was really helpful. And, um, you know, I had, I had people I could talk to on the phone, so I did have support for sure. But, uh, you know, it was temporary relief. Really the the thing which has really helped is, well, I took antidepressants, you know, and that, Mm -hmm. that really helped, uh, the combination of antidepressants, moving away, getting sober, 
um, exercising regularly, new friends. That's kind of been the like the, yeah. those factors all combined mm-hmm. is what's really taken me like yeah, to which a, is really a, a total overhaul. Yeah, and I think that can look too overwhelming to people as well. Where mm-hmm. you're thinking about and will you done the same thing, but you're at the bottom and you're sort of looking at it like, well, I can either change my entire life. Mm can get a different job move to a different place get a different group of friends change my habits yeah or i can stay in this place and and wallow in it or i can potentially even suicide because yeah. it, the way back just looks too hard mm. yeah so yeah got, you guys <laughs> know even better than me but it's got to be that one thing at a time that's yeah typical. you can't look at it like all right i'm gonna change my entire life today yes because it's gonna be too much yeah. that's right yeah yeah it's, it was definitely baby steps and i had a counselor who sort of helped me make some of these decisions and guide me through different things and help me realize what was going on in my life mm. um and then yeah another another thing um i mean your friend it sounds like it was a situation with him and it's also something i heard with um like jordan peterson talk about at one point which is that if you're really depressed, one of the most dangerous things that can happen is to quit your job. I don't know if that's something that you've heard before um, with anyone on your podcast. Well, but I think that's routine. Yeah. Losing yep. routine can be really tough for people too in terms of a sense of purpose and mm. just being organized and having that structure can end up sort of in a bit of a free fall if you have nowhere to be. And then also you, then you're not in contact with people at work. And then if you're in a situation mm. like you were in as well, where you don't have a partner and you're in somewhere where you don't have friends as well, then you become even more isolated. So I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It could, can be dangerous. And work's a pretty good distraction too. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes for people. And it's connected to an identity as I mean, in particular for men, we're sort of, we're defined by what we do. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of, Men struggle, particularly, I guess, when you come to like retirement age, and then if they haven't accumulated any sort of outside interest, their whole life is work. And then they, all right, you're retired now, and they're just like, oh fuck, what do I do now for the rest of my life? And they just, yeah, can go into depression from that. And you don't have that sense of purpose, mm. and then that's how we condition where it's like the the man is the provider, and you mm. make that paycheck, and you don't necessarily have to enjoy your job. You just have to make the money and don't really think beyond that mm. and i think we're, we're starting to grow past that a bit as a society which is good but i mean that's been the case for many hundreds of years yeah. so it's not just gonna change overnight but yeah if, if we put all your sense of purpose into making the money and, and doing a job especially a job that you don't really love or aren't passionate about and then that's taken away. Then mm. it, the, your next thought's going to be, well, what's my value? Yeah. Uh, what do I? Mm. What do I add? Yeah, and I think a lot of men do. They'll pursue sort of jobs like that for a greater purpose. It's like, all right, well, I'm not entirely passionate about this job, but the greater purpose is what I'm providing for my family. Yeah. And I guess. And that's that's very valid. Mm. Uh, and then I guess in this day and age where it's just like, well, we're redefining. I guess we had these roles that men and women played and now it's just like, well, no, now women Yeah, well, now, especially now, yeah. women provide mm. too. Yeah. yeah All yeah. kinds of people do it. So it's not that those traditional roles have changed. And I think that's part of why a lot of men feel lost and are without role models as such or with, with less of a clear direction these days is because of that shift. Mm. And I think the rise of feminism is a great thing and women being empowered is a great thing, but it shouldn't come at the expense of men being disempowered we should be able to mm, share yeah. that share that evenly and and both feel like we can contribute and that's got to be best and i mm. think one needs to dominate the other or we feel like we're losing out because the girls are getting some uh, some attention and, and having a yeah doing yeah. better all of a sudden mm. yeah it's interesting it's actually i mean I, I wasn't super close with him but a guy that i worked with um when i was still in adelaide he we were on a project together and um and he was a he was a great bloke, a little bit older, and um, <clears throat> he used to drink. I think most days, and you know, he was a little bit lost. And I'd say, like looking back now, it's like yeah, he was kind of on the edge of uh, I don't know what the word is, but like he was sort of on the edge of society, you know, like mm-hmm. he was just holding on. Um, and then yeah, I mean, the project ended, and they told him that um to you know just hold on until the next project comes up we'll let you know and it was just a few weeks later that he yeah took his own life Mm. so it just seems to be this yeah kind of um maybe not with every case but yes seems to be a loss of work uh 
can be super damaging and maybe it's because yeah it's a lack of purpose but also you've got so much time to just sit around and think because yeah, how do you spend your time thing. i think a lot of people will sort of hide from their lives at their jobs as well and, and yeah it's unfortunate that they feel like they don't want to be alone with themselves or have to deal with some of their personal problems but it's also great that people feel like they can go to work and just focus on something and produce something and be distracted in a way yeah. and so yeah you take away that 10 hours a day and mm. that's a lot yeah. of time in your own head you, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah it is. especially if you don't have the right if you don't feel like you have the right tools to deal with what's going on in your head yeah mm. then yeah you don't have people that or you don't feel comfortable to confide in people or you feel guilty for the way that you feel which is you know when we take you know which comes back to that you know if you're feeling down and someone says oh what do you got to what do you got to feel sad about it's not acknowledging how the person's feeling. You're just dismissing it because you're seeing a different picture to what's going on in um, the person's head. And, all right, well, I don't know how to deal with it, so I'll just distract myself, whether it's at work or just going to the gym or just, yeah. in a lot of cases, for a lot of men, it's just yeah, going to the pub. <laughs> yeah. Well, it reminds me of the guest that we had on, Drew Wilde. He talked about <clears throat> that uh, another word that he uses for addiction is distraction, you know, and that's really what yeah, any addiction is. It's just, it's just a distraction, and and he he puts it as far as like yeah, work is yeah exactly. It's a, it's a distraction, therefore it can be an addiction. Obviously, it can be channeled healthy if it's providing income and it's you know providing a service to others. But yeah. at the same time, uh, yeah, if if when all the dust settles, you're not at work and, and you can't sit alone without having a drink or a smoke or a you know any other kind of major distraction and that's yeah it can be pretty dangerous um yeah I yeah just, yeah definitely agree with that like with addiction being distraction and they say yeah like choose your choose your poison it's kind mm. of like choose mm. your distraction and then your brain's not going to stop looking for that dopamine release mm. and, and looking for the rush in wherever it can find it and for most people i think some more than others because i think others are more like adrenaline junkies or seeking that thrill a bit more than others mm. but it's a case of redirecting that in the most positive possible light because mm. just abstaining and saying oh well i'm not gonna feed that in any way doesn't mean you have to feed it in a negative way but for me i find i i really have to key in on like trying to push the podcast do things that i'm passionate about achieve stuff um get stuff done at work put a lot of effort into my relationships be out doing activities and fill my life up with uh doing things and trying to achieve really mm -hmm. not in like an obsessive way but in a i realize that i can get that same sense of satisfaction and that same excitement out of especially out of developing the podcast and having these kinds of conversations and making content and putting it out there and you guys know what it's like making that content and putting yeah. it out day after day after day of all those videos and that sort of mm. thing but you you see the reactions to it and then people messaging and say yeah this helped me and you sort of get off on in on that in a way mm. in a positive way and i can feel that that's just pretty much the same part of my brain as doing something more negative and that's just a much better way to do it for mm. me uh it takes more discipline and then also obviously working out is the major one as well for for a lot of people who manage to get over whatever it is fitness is often Mm. a part of that or religion or it's got to be something though you've got to be able to still get that that feeling uh from somewhere that's that's not destroying your life too and i think that the the, uh, the addiction distraction thing just totally makes sense because it just goes from one thing to another mm. a lot of the time so you can go from okay so you're drinking too much so you stop doing that and then you find like your brain's looking around and then all of a sudden you know you're watching way too much porn so you stop mm. doing that and then all of a sudden you're gambling. So you, and you're like, and then you stop doing that. And then you're on Tinder. <laughs> Your yeah, brain's yeah, like yeah. still 100%. like finding it yeah, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, for and sure. And you might not even realize it, but it's literally that feeling, that like excitement where you don't know what the result's going to be. That's the feeling that you want. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the feeling that you want. That's what I used to get excited about when I'd like go out for a night and I knew I'd be getting on drugs and doing whatever. Mm. The exciting part was anything could happen tonight. And that anything could happen, that is dopamine. Yeah. That is how you define it. And you're not sure what the result's going to be. And there's all these things that give us that feeling, which we want because it feels good, but most of them are destructive. Mm. Yeah. And, that's, and I guess that's the key point is it's 
finding a, an addiction or a distraction that's the least harmful to you. Mm. Yeah, and if you can, uh, yeah. something that helps other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ideally, because, yeah, I mean, Will and I, we've talked about, I think we've talked about this in episodes, but we've definitely talked about it, is, you know, we yeah, we battle with all kinds of different addictions all the time mm. that kind of cycle through and then, like, we're quitting, like, you know, I, I went overseas and I started smoking for a while and yeah. then I was vaping and then, now I'm off that, but then, you know, then yeah. other things come in and then I'm eating too much, like, sugar and you're just conscious just, of yourself that you just yeah whenever i'd cut something else something out i just I'll watch myself randomly start pick, trying to pick something else up <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. no we're not doing that as now like you know it could be yeah mm. so now you start eating like now you're just eating chocolate every night which you never yeah. didn't mm. used to because your brain's sneaky it just wants to get it wants to get high in some yeah, sort yeah. of way it's that, that neuro pathway is like firm and set in there and it's still looking for it because i guess yeah. yeah like i'd have addictive things come up that yeah like i guess might not be as noticeable because i weren't as destructive as i was with alcohol so then yeah if it is just if it is food if it's porn if it's especially if if you've if you've gone really far on one of them Mm. then any of the other ones in more moderation you're like that's not that bad yeah because i was a fucking alcoholic yeah yeah it's like yeah look how fucked up i went that way (laughs) yeah this is fine yeah yeah yeah. so this isn't you think this is bad yeah this is good it's like i can just that's yeah, right. then you trick your brain and you justify, justify it. Yeah, yeah, I think, we're um, amazing at justifying mm. stuff to ourselves. Yeah. But as long as you're doing that, I think a lot of us, uh, maybe if we don't even consciously know it, you have to walk around with that feeling mm. of, I don't, I know I don't really need this in my life or mm. that, I, that it's not good for me. And then there's a whole lot of, while you're actually doing that behavior, and you're in the throes of whatever it is, you're like, oh, no, it's fine. Mm. But it sort of hangs with you. Yeah. Like it's a bit of a cloud over your life. Yeah. And then it's just this ongoing you justifying it, you hanging out with circles of people who justify it because they do it. Mm. And then you say everyone does it. And then mm. you sort of, but it's still in your life and it's still dictating you. And then when it becomes an addiction, it owns you mm. and it runs your life. And then you have to, you have to live with that and you have to have that around and being able to banish those demons and not have any of that and not be controlled by anything is that's better than mm. getting high on anything i think just yeah. not having that peace of mind mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and then like some of the things where like i know i'm not enjoying doing it but i still compulsively am doing it like scrolling on your phone yeah 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 it's just yeah you, you, you're getting some hit and yeah. then afterwards, it's just like, why the fuck did I do that? Yeah. And you just keep going back to it, which I've heard. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's like an addictive pattern. It's like if you keep craving to go do something, knowing full well that it's affecting you negatively, but mm. you can't stop doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It can be, it can be like, a fun like, thing. Both on TikTok, but that happens, <laughs> yeah. that happens too. Because oh, uh, I was oh, always, yeah. I was always massively against it, but it's good for posting content. You know, yeah, you get like. Mm. there's so many more people on it yeah yeah so it's good for getting your stuff out there Mm. but then i I do get stuck and there's the algorithms are so good like Mm. there's so much stuff out there that i'll i'll feel guilty i'll be on that and i'm like trying to get rid of it and then i then you've been on it for 30 minutes Mm. and then you get rid of it and you kind of just feel sick afterwards and it just sends you content that you know it's just like i get a hit out of something that's going to upset me or piss me off yeah it's like i'm like all disoriented the rest of the day just like why do i get pissed off at this crap on fucking the internet again fucking hell yeah it's a hard thing because i mean we've got 16 conscious hours a day and Mm. so you know to be consciously aware or con- you know being mindful to something healthy for 16 hours a day every day it's it's unrealistic oh, especially when our society thrusts yeah. stuff that's unhealthy in your face mm. yeah and that's a very quick you could feel good for a little bit right now mm. that's a pretty sweet looking option a lot of the time compared yeah. to you could be disciplined for your whole life and yep. you won't get high but you won't get too low and you'll just be steady like that's not very appealing especially to mm. very young people Mm. But I think it gets a lot more appealing once you've been really high and you've been really low yes, and you, and you felt really shit for a long time and you've realized that, wow, when I'm super hungover or I'm on a massive come down, I really can't do my life at mm. all. And what if I don't have my shit together and then something actually goes wrong in my life and like there's a massive health problem or someone needs me to go help them and I'm just rat shit and I'm going to be useless. So I think as you start to take your health and your life a bit more seriously as you get older and hopefully grow up a bit and realize that, yeah, you are fallible. You can 
die, you can get sick, uh, you can fall apart, you can become an absolute mess, you can you know, lose your friends and lose your relationships and lose your house, then it's like actually being stable and being someone people can rely on and wake up feeling good go to sleep feeling good and not carrying any guilt is actually that sounds pretty good Definitely. Yeah, it's like yeah. the highs you used to get from drinking or if it's taking drugs and then yeah, yeah. it comes at a cost because um, you dip and it, I mean alcohol is yeah. a depressant I mean like the last time I did cocaine like the come down it was horrendous that I just I was just like yeah that's it I'm not doing that again as if you actually did it which is pretty impressive <laughs> <laughs> amongst other things but I mean like this morning like we trained at um, was it Revel mm-hmm. you know you really enjoyed the workout yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, they oh, yeah. felt great afterwards. And like what becomes at a cost, what's the cost? I mean, oh, well, the cost was just during the workout probably wasn't as fun, but the way we feel afterwards, I mean, that's why I work out as much mm. as I do. And if you're looking for, because I'm not really that um, put like that driven to, oh, I, want, I want to get that high again that we got from drinking and drugs and whatever thing. And but, you won't. Yeah, and you won't. Yeah. So like if, yeah, you just coast through and I mean like the high, the high that I got this morning, feel good for the rest of the day that's, that's yeah. i'm pretty good with that like it's the, the most natural way to get it and, and then i think yeah. getting just really comfortable as you guys would be with who you actually are mm. as people and to the point where you don't feel like you need to do any of that and you can still have those social situations and you're still meeting new people and still having the interesting conversations still having a laugh because that's what we're doing it for often mm. in those social scenarios is because we want to connect and we want to have a laugh and we want to have a chat and if you prove to yourself or you can do that anyway then i imagine i've never mm. gone fully sober but that it gets less and less appealing as you realize oh, it doesn't actually yeah, add anything yeah. well the irony of like in party scenes doing drinking and drugs and you're with all these people and you think you're having a great time and you're connecting but you're not because then you just wake up the next day you don't remember any of the conversations that you had and yeah. then it's just and then you, once you take out, and a lot of people discover this, once you take the drinking and the drugs out with the people that you're hanging around with, you realize you don't have anything in common with these people besides the drinking and the drugs. That's right. <laughs> and I think that's very tough for people as well um, in the early 20s, mid-20s especially. And you have those party days mm. and everyone's like, oh, I love you, bro. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. And but it's all based on drugs. And then you take that away and then, yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't have those similarities and... I think that's what keeps people in those circles a lot is they might not have another friendship circle and it's not like those relationships don't have any merit or value mm. or that those memories and those times weren't a good thing in some ways but um often it does have to fall apart if you want to move away and your priorities are, are shifting in another direction and it's pretty tough to ask people like all right well you know walk away from that group of friends and, and make new friends and that can mm. be a really daunting mm. thing and especially if people are loyal mm. and they don't want to they don't want to feel like they're letting people down or that that they're, they're too good for whoever it is but a lot of the time like for you um mitch the reality is you you need to move yourself out of those environments and if those friendships are based on those environments then you're not going to be able to stop doing whatever you're doing while you're still there mm. Because I guess it's like safety and security, even if it is like a group. I mean, we've had people talk about it. It's like it's safety and security with these group of friends, even though you think, well, I don't really want to participate in this stuff anymore. I want to grow and do something else to step outside that. And it's like, oh, well, that's scary and unknown. I don't know what's what's waiting for me there. This is is comfort. And that's just stepping outside your comfort zone again. Yeah. But you know know when something's not working for you. Mm. I think people do the same thing with their job too, right? Where they're definitely not satisfied with their job. They spend most of the time thinking I shouldn't be here, I need to do something else. But the thought of not having a job or the next job being worse keeps people there. Yeah, or like, will I get another job after this? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Or the same with your partner, like will Mm. I get another partner? Mm. So I think we always have to grapple with that. Mm. But I think deep down we know when when we're stuck and when Mm. we're doing things that aren't in alignment with who we want to be anymore. And we can try to pretend to ourselves for a time, but that problem's not going to go away mm. unless you actually take that leap yeah. of faith, I suppose. Yeah, and it can be exciting too. You know, it can be scary, but I, I personally found it exciting to move and change things. You know, life's relatively short, I mean, regardless of how long we live. So, mm. you know, to do the same thing for an entire lifetime, for me, it was like, well, I might as well have a change. Like living somewhere else, I've lived in one place my whole life, done a similar thing. 
why not experience something new? So maybe that's a way people can reframe it to take the leap. Well, that's a rush in itself. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's, that's bigger action and more excitement in a lot of ways than just repeating the same behavior that you know is keeping you in a rut. Mm-hmm. If you're going to try to move somewhere else or live a different life entirely and sort of change up your identity, then that's pretty exciting too. And you can find yeah. out who you actually are. And mm-hmm. I think that just keeps on developing over your life too. Like you don't just work it out. Like you said, when you get sober on my podcast, it doesn't fix all your problems. You don't just go like, oh, sweet. Like I stopped mm-hmm. doing that and yeah. now, I'm, now I'm all good. And now I just teach other people how to, how to do it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you keep growing through those, those different changes as mm-hmm. we go. But then I think you teach yourself like uh, that you're capable and mm-hmm. that you are enough just by yourself and that you can face those challenges and keep growing and developing and and finding other ways to have fun yeah yeah because i mean i've heard people say that the same feelings in your body like being anxious and nervous and being excited are like the same feelings in the body yeah i've heard that saying a few times you know you've both relocated from a time being i mean you said you went to townsville for a bit yeah you've gone to the gold coast i mean that's not something I've done, I've always lived on the Gold Coast my whole life. And then you know, mentioned, oh, maybe I need to relocate. And people are just like, why do you want to relocate from the Gold Coast? Yeah, well, it's, just, it's an easy, um, uh, but you know. It's kind I, of funny like mm-hmm. that the, uh, the Gold Coast seems like the place to be to get as cooked as possible, but mm-hmm. also seems like the place to be to be sober. Yeah, yeah. oh, well, it's, it's such a contrast. Because they've got that whole community there mm-hmm. that's, that's all about that. And that's something that's getting a lot of traction it seems where it's mm. like that fitness based sort mm. of community where that would be a good place to be if that was what you were doing yeah, but then the typical like that's where you go to party and it's you know it's the it's the glitter strip of australia mm. is also true so yeah, yeah. I, don't think, I probably can't say that about vegas i wouldn't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, i don't know if it's going on there no, <laughs> yeah. i don't think so no yeah. just like competitions where you can do the most drugs i guess yeah. or the most hookers um yeah but even aiming back to like connection with, I mean, like with men, like so many men, the only time that they can feel like that they could be open is like after a couple of years and then grabbing you behind the shoulder. It's like, oh, I love you. Buddy. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if I just do it, then I'm then that's just gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. There's something, Ooh, something yeah. wrong with him. Yeah. yeah. I hope we're I hope we're sort of starting to get beyond that a mm. bit more. Yeah. I think we're probably a bit. I've got a bit of a skewed view of it. Uh, not so much from the, my podcast I do because I see all kinds of perspective people from all kinds of groups, but even the people I talk to on that are at a point where they're willing to talk about mm. their mental health personally and publicly. And then my group of friends are very emotionally connected and we will do that uh, without needing to drink or whatever and we're just quite affectionate, but it's still not the norm, mm. you know, but mm. I think it's hopefully it is changing a bit more. And I think part of encouraging guys to be able to open up is we're not saying all right you can do that all the time yeah and like every every time we hang out it's just like all right everyone tell us all about your problems yeah and like (laughs) you can't cheat each other up anymore and it's not about Mm. paying each other out and it's all just going to be like this big woo woo la la like Mm. prayer circle thing like that's not what it's about Mm. at all i think keep it pretty much the same it's just that you want people in that group to have the understanding of if you're actually going through something, bring it up mm. and tell all of us, if not one of us about it and have that other person take it seriously and listen mm. and just have that respect for each other. Yeah. Like that's really all, all I think we need to do. Mm. Yeah. Just creating a space that you can have, you can, that people can feel comfortable to be open about that. Like, yeah, like a safe space that, yeah, there's not going to be judgment for what you're going through. And then if you're the, on the receiving end, just acknowledge it and yeah. just sometimes the best thing is just being just being there for the person and that's and how you act, that's how you actually be friends like mm. that's how you actually connect yeah because if you never have that chat and it's always just about footy or you're always just punting together mm. and drinking and not talking about anything you don't know that person at all mm. and they don't can't feel like they can really trust you mm. and that's not a good feeling either so being able to have those conversations sometimes even if it's just like, well, you know, what do you, what do you guys think about this? Like talking about ideas and perspectives and, and a bit of your life history, that actually brings you all closer together mm-hmm. and makes you be 
I think real real mates. And I think we'd all we'd all want that, and there'd be plenty of people who feel like they've got sort of surface level relationships where, you know, you, you're friends as an image, but when you're all hanging out, so you're just all on your phones and you don't really know each other. And I think most people would want to. It's just hard to know how to do that. And mm-hmm. we're so uh, we've got a lot of bravado, and we're we're worried about being judged or or being that guy who brings it up and then have everyone else say like, oh, we're not talking about that. Like, mm. We're worried about that. But I think most of us are like, I'd rather have a, a real conversation sometimes and I'd rather learn about the person next to me and feel like I can, I can go to them if I needed mm. to. Yeah. And if they're not willing, then you need new friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's like as simple That's as right. that. Like if you can't open up and they're not going to listen or engage, then yeah, it's your life is too short to waste time with people that aren't going to be there for you, mm. and especially when you're in dark times. Well, because I think that's, that's some of the most satisfying and uh, reassuring thing in life is being able to share those things with people and have them share them back mm. uh, and be like, yeah, we're human and this is tough. And they say, yep, that is tough and I've been through something that's tough and then share your successes together as well. Like that's sort of as good as it gets and mm. we have to have people to be able to share stuff with mm. a lot of people I think that's just their partner hopefully that that's, that's that's the only person they can share it with but yeah it'd be great if you could have relationships where you felt like that in, in all areas of your life mm. yeah yeah I think yeah like men having those relationships with other men outside their partner as well so it's not just that their partner has to take on the burden of fucking all the the dumpster fire that whatever whatever we're sort of carrying that yeah. you can have other outlets like yeah male friends who yeah are, are conscious enough and open up to receive that and mm. you know help you through that um in whatever way and even if it is just listening and just you know being there for them and i think taking action helps a lot with guys as well that like we're very physical mm. so i think um you know going to the gym or going to the driving range or playing pool or playing some sort of a game that can often be a good way to connect as well mm. so actually getting moving and, and getting active i think we naturally want to do that and then other than just drinking like that's something that can make you feel more like you want to talk and sharing that sort of activity with someone too mm. so i think if you're in a friendship group that's been bonded over just getting fucked up all the time then you want to change things like one thing you could try to do is we'll catch up during the day and go and do mm. some activity that doesn't revolve around drinking yeah. and then just sort of see what happens introducing that in that sort of thing into the group. Mm-hmm. And that's like a subtle kind of a change which then people may want to get around and uh, that might sort of change things up a bit. Yeah. yeah. And just ignore if they bring up day drinking. Just Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think if guys, especially, I mean, I relate, I mean, when you were telling a story about your friend about, pride like i think for a lot of i mean i've experienced it that you know to be a man you got to handle your own shit so you know especially you know hearing about your friend in sydney struggling his mum's supporting financially i could certainly relate to oh you know fuck i'm not fucking i've got to fucking handle it myself i can't have Mm -hmm. someone support you know yeah but we're all fucking human and you know we're a social creature and we all need support from one another and and i mean getting that support even from like a, a good if you've got a good family behind you especially good parents who like they just want the best for their kids so they're going to try and help you in any way and i mean that's what i experienced with my parents then when i eventually got up just got up the courage to ask for help because i just didn't for for but it's the story longer. it's the story you're telling yourself in your head that holds mm. you back from yeah. doing that isn't it because you're telling yourself nah yeah man it hold, handles their problems and mm if I tell people they're going to think this and you don't mm. even give them the chance to actually react mm. and you just sort of assume that you know how everyone else is going to act if you do something yeah. and you're just in your head the whole time coming up with these scenarios that don't even exist mm. and probably never will and you're basing your, your actions off that mm. then when you do actually ask for help or you do speak your story to someone then you realise like oh that didn't go how I thought and actually it was a lot easier than keeping it all in mm. my head the whole time mm. and I think there's a bit of irony that the more we feel like we have to handle everything on our own and a man handles his shit without any help the less capable we are of being able to handle our stuff mm. you know what really makes us capable and effective is being able to say when we're struggling with something this is a reality of what I'm going through and 
uh, it's good to just be able to share it but you know and if I can get some advice or you want to have a chat about it then that's good but I just want to express that yeah I'm I'm going through something as everyone does mm. and then have some input from outside input and developing that as a as a habit when you need to you can share something I think that makes men a lot more effective and a lot more able to handle stuff mm. rather than being someone who's like no, I never share anything and I just bottle it and I just deal with this dialogue in my head at mm. all times I think in the long run, that means that you do, you are more likely to fall apart or you are more likely to act out or lash out at people that you love and them not understand it and then you not understand it and then you hate yourself because you act this way because mm. you just would not never share stuff mm. and you don't develop that habit of being able to do it. So trying to do it for the first time is so scary that some people never do it. When I started, I guess we're going to rehab, going to these group meetings, I guess going to AA and stuff and then... Where I'm at now and people compliment me. It's just like how I'm so open about my past addiction and stuff. And to me, it just feels normal because it was just like when I was in these groups, they would just encourage it. They're just like, yeah, like just be open about it, like your experience, like it, it helps people. And yeah, so I just, I just got to own, yeah, just own my shit with it. Just like, mm. yeah, well, this is what I did, but this is where I'm at now. And um, I've always with helping others, if it's, if it's just redirecting someone away from the the path that i went down then you know that's always a plus because you don't need to go where i went (laughs) (laughs) i did it for you please avoid yeah (laughs) but recovery seems like you have to face yourself Mm -hmm. in order to get started with that there's that real dark night of the soul ongoing where you have to some might be the 12-step program or Mm -hmm. however you do it but there's no getting around trying to pretend uh, what the actual reality was of, of what you went through and where you ended up. So you have to face that. Mm. And then if you stay on that path of recovery, then I'm not surprised you guys can speak so openly about it because you've confronted that within yourself and mm. you've accepted it within mm. yourself and you've loved yourselves anyway. So you can talk about it because you're not ashamed of it because mm. you've owned it. Yeah. But if you've got various struggles and you haven't owned it and you haven't faced it because that's scary and it's really hard to do that then you're going to be a lot less inclined to want to speak about that not so much i mean partly because you don't want other people to know the extent of it but also because you don't want to admit it to yourself because Mm -hmm. that's ugly yeah and it probably means you're going to have to do a bunch of work or you're going to have to view yourself in a in a different way to the image that you want to view yourself Mm -hmm. as and a lot of people would rather just bury that Mm -hmm. sure for obvious reasons especially when everyone around you is doing the same thing that's mm. when it's like real easy to bury because yeah. it's like, and that was the, uh, the biggest hurdle for me was, you know, my counselor told me you have a problem with alcohol, like first session, straight up, straight up. But then it was looking at the people around me and I'm going, well, not really. Like everyone else <laughs> yeah. is doing the same shit. Everyone's that I fine. Why yeah. do I have to stop? But then, yeah, yeah it, like you say, as time went on and I actually faced it, actually looked at it. Okay. What would my life, would I be better off without alcohol? You know, how much damage has it done? How has it affected my relationships? How has it affected my health? Um, how has it affected my finances? How many embarrassing things? You know, and then you add it all up and it's like, well, regardless if other people are doing it, I'm better off without it. Mm-hmm. Even if everyone else is doing it, it's just better for me um, to, to, it takes a lot to stay of, away. It takes yeah. a lot of awareness and self-love and maturity to do that. Because... Mm-hmm. That's so uncomfortable to have to face all that and mm. go through that and reframe everything, change your whole life when you can mm. just have another drink. But just having yeah. another drink is, is never going to ch- bring you to a different place. Yeah. And I'm sure you would agree that now you're much happier with mm-hmm. yourself and much more excited to live your future than you were before. But you've got to pay the piper, whatever it is. Mm. You know, whether it's trying to carve out a better life for yourself through healthy habits or it's having a massive come down because you went on a three day bender. Like you've got to, you've got to pay the piper or whatever, yeah, whatever way it is. And you can't escape that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or just drink more, but then eventually you <laughs> well, got to stop. Right. Yeah, yeah, but you're just, you're just extending it. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah, right. Yeah, you got to pay, you got to pay. Everyone has to pay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is there like one standout thing from one of your guests, like a, like a piece of advice or just like a, something that one of your guests has said that just has stuck with you? over the past couple of years doing your podcast? Yeah, so many things. I think just the general theme of 
everyone needs a reason. Everyone needs to find a reason to be their best self and to want to get up in the morning and make things happen. And if that reason isn't you for a period of time or just your own health isn't enough to motivate you, then it needs to be someone else or it needs to be a, a cause. Um, but you've got to be part of something and feel like it's more than just you and there's something bigger to contribute. And I think if you can help someone else or create something or join a community and get that community back and that love back, then that's going to be a massive help for people. I think the number one thing for human beings is community and connection and we'll find it wherever we can. And a lot of where we find it is the smoke and mirrors of drugs and alcohol and bullshit party mm. scenes that feel like connection, but it's just a veil. It's not actually real. And being able to find those reasons and find those real connections and that real community, I think that can get most people through just about everything. And it's when we feel like we're truly isolated and alone and no one understands us and no one can relate to us and no one would want to know us and we believe those lies in our own head and don't have anyone to snap us out of it and don't think that we're here for any purpose or that we help or that we're a burden, then I think that's when people end up in real strife. So mm. finding a reason, even as Jordan Peterson says, if that's making your bed, if that's picking up some clothes off the floor on the first few days then that's fine but create some sort of reason mm. to be alive and then find a community somewhere and mm. like you guys have you know you haven't mm. just abstained mm. you haven't just said all right well i'm not going to drink anymore i'm just going to sit here and that's it or like, <laughs> meditate <laughs> yeah like yeah, i'm just going to be a monk now mm, yeah, you, know, you yeah. haven't you haven't withdrawn you've gone and found that sense of community and connection somewhere else that worked mm. better for you Yep, that's so, exactly right. Yeah. yeah, it's like step by step, and I mean, I guess it was alluding to before, like changing your entire life is not going to happen overnight. It's, and then it's just the big picture yeah. of what you want to change. I mean, for me, the starting point was like, you need to stop drinking. All right, we'll focus on that first. Yeah, right? and then we, all right, we tick that. All right now, then we move on to the next thing. And yeah, yeah you just go from there. And so yeah, boom, you have a reason straight mm. away, and it's something to work on. Mm. And then that's already feeding those dopamine pathways yeah. in the in this opposite way where it's like oh i'm slowly turning into a different person and mm -hmm. that's pretty cool and my challenge is to not do this thing and find something else to replace it with yeah and yeah your, your brain the wiring of your brain is incredibly complex but it's not that complex like you're still going to be able to find ways around it and still get that those that rush and those happy feelings and and want to get up and get active and then when you don't have hangovers anymore and you don't have come downs anymore and your body's all regulated and you're getting enough sleep and you're eating well mm. and your gut's in order and then you like, I actually feel good. Mm. But <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, what is this <laughs> feeling? Yeah. But we're so adaptable. We're so, we get so used to feeling great and we get so used to feeling shit house yeah. that, um, yeah, you, you can just never change your behavior because... Mm if you're always drinking and you're always eating bad and never exercising and then that's your normal, mm. then when you do drink way too much and you have a hangover, you're like, I don't feel that bad. And I just feel kind of fucked because that's mm. how I, yeah, how yeah, I yeah. am. Yeah, yeah. But if, you, if you're really healthy and then you do that and then you just feel like you might die because mm. you, you're used to being feeling good. But I think a lot of people don't even give themselves a chance to feel how good that would feel mm. if, if you had it all in order. Yeah. I'll give you a little example of yesterday because so, I'm... I do eat relatively well, but I guess going cross country um, the last couple of days I had to be a bit um, selective. But so then Mitch, uh, when I got here yesterday, introduced me to the AB. Oh <laughs> no! <laughs> so it's a staple. The, yeah. the sta apparently, a staple of Adelaide. Do you want to explain what it is? Yeah, it's a big. It was a big plate of chips. Yeah. With like meat on top, covered in sauce. <laughs> Did you get the combo? Did you get the lamb and yeah, the chicken? chicken? And lamb, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think I just got the chicken. Yeah, and so it's about five sauces standard. Yeah. Sometimes more. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it stands for the afterbirth. I, I thought it was afterbirth, but I could be wrong. I don't know. That's what I thought <laughs> yeah. it was, or if that's uh, a nickname or yeah. something. Yeah, I've heard the abortion before. Cause it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause it, yeah, it looks <laughs> like it looks not nice. Yeah, it's one of those things that you'd order when you're hungover, and you're like, mm. "This is a 
great idea. Yeah. And you eat it and then you'd be like, oh, I feel so bad. <laughs> I'm never going to get one of these again, but then you do. Yeah, that was my, yeah, Mitch asked me, how did you find it? It's just like, this is definitely something I would have had at three o'clock in the morning oh, after yeah. clubbing all night. Because um, oh, yeah. yeah, then in the afternoon working on some things, I was sitting there like, oh, I don't feel too good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you gotta, you got to let yourself have a little A-B every now and mm. then. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't, doesn't mean you have to be perfect with everything, but just know that, if you're trying to be productive that afternoon, mm. probably just, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're always going to be going, Oh, yeah. so I mean, I mean, I personally think Will was one of the cleanest eaters. I know like you eat yeah. steak and eggs like three times a day, <laughs> literally like no, no joke, like yeah. steak and eggs and veggies three times a day. Yeah. Your yeah. treat is Yochi. you like the frozen yogurt. That's like, yeah, oh, but then right. I just have, it's, then I just have binges and then yeah. just, <laughs> but that's why like, even like a plate of chips and meat, you're, mm. you just feel left to center yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're so used to just having that mm. clean food like food that's and that's right. kind of what you're saying is so like, like when you used to drink and Mitch saying you should have more ABs that's it that's awesome but yeah thanks for joining us man it's been uh, a real productive me, chat I, I love what you guys are doing and I think yeah it's just it's really original and there there's so much space to have these conversations around drinking and partying and what to do with our lives at this age and how to change your life and it's just a really great place to start an authentic chat from. And you've done a really good job to keep mm. it going and find all the guests that you have. And you're obviously super motivated with it and doing a lot of good things and really just authentic, nice, genuine dudes just doing something because it feels good. And mm. um, yeah, so awesome. Yeah, thanks for that, Good man. stuff. And there's always intertwining with like, I mean, your focus with yours is mental health. I mean, I guess we're yeah. diving into mental health. I mean, it's kind of intertwined with addictions because yeah. a lot of people's mental health, their struggles, you know, are you know underneath all their addictive oh, behaviors. Absolutely. So. absolutely. And that's why mental health is the, the perfect theme for a podcast because to talk about mental health is just to talk about being human, mm, yeah. like just living. Like everyone has mental health. And if we're talking about that, we're not necessarily talking about mental illnesses. Mm. All the stories that I have on my show is just okay, so just tell me about your life and, and what you've been through. And there's mm. always mental health intertwined with that and there's often addictive behaviours and there's often shattered relationships and hitting rock bottom and then and rising again. But mm. it's all just being human's hard mm. and being able to share that with each other makes us feel better and makes us feel like we don't have to be perfect. We just have to try mm. our best and, and get better over time. Yeah. And I guess, you know, to try and go out, go through life without problems is probably a bit of a stretch. I think it's just well, life to, is suffering. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just trying to find better problems, I guess, to, yeah. to tackle every day. Yeah, and better tools to be mm. able to do it and better community to be able to help you through it because the satisfaction comes from overcoming things mm. as well and moving through things and then being able to help others do it. Yeah. So, yeah, if we didn't have any, any challenges, I think we'd probably just be drinking a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> And we, we do like to end the episode in a bit of a fun way because obviously we've taken a bit of a dark dive and discussed yeah. a few different things. So we like to ask, what's an embarrassing tale of yeah. you in the party, on the piss, on the drugs or, or something? Yeah, Down at Red Square. Or- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought of a good one that uh, was a bit younger. It was in year, year 11. And uh, the school I went to, my dad was actually the head of middle school there. So I'd just been through his middle school where he was at the middle school and I'd get in trouble and then I'd get in trouble at home for getting in trouble at oh, school. No. And uh, so everyone knows, everyone knew him because they all went to that school. And I went to this party and it was the, the, the punch, the punch got me, you know, the, uh, the old vodka in the, mm-hmm. in the punch and like no one has any idea how much alcohol is in that punch mm-hmm. and you just keep drinking it and have zero idea really what your tolerance is at that age. Even though, so I was drinking since about year eight but it's just still back in the days where people would just neck half a bottle of Smirnoff vodka, like straight up. Mm. And then 20 minutes later, just be projectile vomiting all over the place. <laughs> so I had thrown up before and embarrassed myself plenty before, but I definitely hadn't learned my lesson. And I remember I was smashing this punch and it was a pimps and hose party too. So <laughs> I remember I was, those. <laughs> <laughs> and this is still me looking fairly prepubescent, like wearing a purple robe, like thinking I was pretty cool. And uh, I'd smash this punch and I'd got some pills from Happy High Herbs, like not even real, <laughs> not even real ones. Like just someone had some sort of 
speedy like fake herbal pill thing i don't know I, I took him anyway and i was drinking this punch and then it was only about an hour into the party as well like people were still getting there and i was just absolutely <laughs> blasted and there's parents there too because it was a kid's party but it was in this real fancy nice house with marble floors and then, uh, there's all these parents around and i just threw up all over this beautiful floor like in front of all these parents and all the like kids would just like the sun hadn't even really gone down yet mm. at this point and I was already that lit and I was full paralytic like I couldn't stand up and I was all wobbly limbed and didn't really know what was going on other than like oh I've really fucked up mm. here and then dad rocks up at some point I don't oh, know no. 30 minutes later or whatever and I remember he literally threw me over his shoulder and he's carrying me out and I'm like lolling from side to side. We're dribbling down his back. And the entire party's going, Mr. Mac, Mr. Mac, Mr. Mac. And then I just, I remember like sort of swaying from side to side, just seeing in a blur, everyone chanting dad's name and knowing how embarrassed he was going to be because he worked at the school and thinking like my life was over and that was just mm. the worst decision that I've ever made. And in the spirit of good parenting, he made me go back the next day and deliver them a apology letter. Wow. And uh, so I was, and he made me go to basketball training the next morning as well. Oh, I remember yeah. I woke up on the floor in, uh, in these elephant pants that I didn't remember putting on. And I'd realized that my parents had bathed me and I had no memory of oh, that. No. And I'm just being like, Oh, that definitely saw my genitals. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that was pretty rough, but, uh, yeah. Oh. Hey, at least I had this sort of dad who'd carry me out of a party, but poor man, put him mm. through it a few times there. <laughs> that's a good one. Thanks <laughs> yeah, for sharing that, yeah, man. That's, that's very entertaining. <laughs> oh, this has been the Last Strings Podcast. I'm Will Hitchens. That's Mitchell Ford. We'll see you in the next one. <laughs>